This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is a Monday. The big stories of the weekend, of course, the Colorado Buffaloes and the Denver Broncos. We'll start with the Broncos and we'll go to the Buffaloes, especially uh, in the second hour. They have the much better result. But for the Broncos, and you know what, they they are the bigger story. We start they with are. the Broncos. You know what, they are. Their game was played more recently, and uh, Cody Rourke will join us in just a couple because I, of that. But be- you're right. The best football game I watched uh, over the weekend, uh, as far as uh, a team's performance was concerned, without question, in the college game. I think in the pro game, you can debate. Uh, a couple of teams looked superb, uh, including Jordan Love in his debut yes. with the Packers. Uh, I thought Tua was magnificent in the best game of the day that I saw, the 36-34 thriller with the Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi, uh, one of the few games I uh, picked correctly. I you got did. all of nine games right straight up. <laughs> it was 6-9 and nine against the spread. So it was not a glorious weekend, but that was a great game. And, uh, you know, the performance of Dallas, uh, the, the Giants were so bad that maybe it's hard to measure the quality of, Dallas's team, but certainly on the defensive side of the ball, Dallas has a lot going for it. But in the college game on Saturday, I thought the most impressive performance was turned in by CU, uh, perhaps for a second straight weekend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and yes, I consider the idea that Nebraska is, is not a world beater, but this is not a close game. This is not a typical game that Nebraska has been losing uh, for years and years and years, one score games that they find ways to lose. This was domination certainly in the second half by the University of Colorado. And in the first half, it was 13 to nothing at the, <laughs> at the half. Uh, although I didn't think they were dominant. They were not no, nearly as good no. offensively uh, in the first they, half they as they were in the second. overly but, amped up, you could tell. They yeah. did not look sharp. They, they were too, uh, a little too up for the game. I thought so, a, a little bit. And, and the running game did not uh, produce much uh, early on. Uh, Nebraska seemed to have... Uh, some defensive answers that TCU never did in week one, uh, but Colorado was so impressive. And I, I thought, and watching Red Zone yesterday and watching several games from start to finish, the worst game of the 15 as far as aesthetics and quality of play, I thought by far was Denver Raiders. Oh. They, they were the two worst teams playing against each there. other. That might be. That, well, it, the, it was uh, the worst game as a result. There was no drama, Bengals, no action. Well, I, I know, but there were extenuating circumstances there, I think. Uh, and Cleveland may be a team that's yeah, better they, yeah. than people think, although Deshaun Watson didn't do anything. Uh, and and that was impacted by the weather. It, it, it rained a little here late in the game, but weather had nothing to do with it. I, I just thought both teams were bad, and it didn't really matter which one won. Uh, I guess the team that won is more likely to finish third and the team that lost is more likely to finish last in the AFC West. I saw nothing uh, particularly from the Broncos that was any more exciting than what I've seen, uh, again, win or lose in the last 105 games of which the Broncos have won a grand total of 37 now, which is a worse percentage than the Colorado Rockies currently have. They have now lost a stunning 22 straight to the Char- I mean to the Chiefs and to the uh, Raiders when you're talking yeah. about those two uh, this the now at this point pretty In remarkable. In this decade, they have not beaten either the Raiders or the Chiefs. 
And there is not a single team in the NFL that can say that there are two teams in their division that they beat last in the previous decade to this one. Certainly. With not not a single not. team. Nothing to be not proud of. one. For sure. Joining us now to talk about it is our own Cody Rourke. You can follow him on Twitter, Cody Rourke NFL. And you can find him. I've built the work he puts together over on MyLifeSports.com as well as his Good Morning Broncos podca- podcast and a YouTube program. Really should check that out as well. Cody, thanks for joining us. Uh, for the Broncos, I think there were some things that went right. I think there were some things that you could see that trended in the right direction for the Broncos. But in the end, it ended up in a loss to the Raiders at home in a game in which this team was dead last in the league at 16.9 points a game, and they scored 16 again. Uh, at what point, and I will have time to break down the things that, that went right, and I think there were some, but for a lot of fans that are looking at it and saying, here we go again, is there reason to believe otherwise? I think a lot of, no, I think a lot of fans have the uh, the idea, look, and look, six, seven years of losing is going to be but they're all Okay, well, we're having trouble working with Cody there. We'll see if we can uh, catch him and get him back. But but that's the that's the problem, Sandy. I think people that reached out for me, the, the challenge was they're like, same old Broncos, same old everything. 16 points no matter what the, they do. It's just never enough. There were things. Uh, and let's just, let's just start while we try to get Cody back. Let's just start from the start. The onsides kick to begin the game. I guess you and I were some of the small minority that actually kind of liked it, to my mind. I, I thought it was maybe the smartest thing it Sean It was kind Payton of inspired and a bit of a statement to the league. We, t- we know we learned last week, we talked about it with Seth Wickersham, that Sean Payton's a guy that, that he's got a big chip on his shoulder. I thought that was a pretty creative way to say, no, look, I'm back, and that means you better prepare for some things. I didn't hate it. And uh, with a little better luck, just a little better luck, and we'll get into some of the detail-oriented things with the Broncos, too, they would have gotten it. Well, yes, and that was not the reason that they gave up the first touchdown of the game. I, I don't know why it is. This defense is the most overrated group I have ever That's seen in my that. life on any level of football. It is a joke that, that this defense is considered good or pretty good by people. It is not. I, Micah Parsons makes more impact in one series of defensive football than Patrick Sertan makes in a year. Get off the Patrick Sertan Hall of Fame, gold jacket, best corner in the league nonsense. Patrick Sertan on the big play of the game jogged over from the other side of the field. A Raider got in his way and he stopped. Now, I'm not saying he could have made the tackle or should have made the tackle, but he did not hustle on that play. Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson leveled cheap shots that should earn at least one of them a suspension, and that would be Jackson. I I don't want to hear about how good this defense is. This sound familiar? Five minutes, eight seconds left on the game. The Broncos punt. They never get the ball ball back. back. Sound familiar? Unfortunately, it does. Cody Rourke joins us back uh, on the air there here. Cody Rourke, NFL is Twitter. And Cody, the the frustration that you can hear it in Sandy's voice, the fact that the defense, and at one point you look at it and say the Raiders did only score 17 points. Uh, the Broncos offense only managed 16 points. But, yeah, there there were breakdowns in the defense. In fact, I tend to agree with Sandy. I thought there were more positives on the offensive side, even with 16 points that I saw, 
than maybe there were on the defense. The pass rush, for the most part, was essentially non-existent, despite the fact that Vance Joseph had said this was the, uh, the the best group of edge rushers that he'd ever been in. Yeah, well, you know, going back and watching the, the all 22 here, there's a reason I think the pass rush didn't get home consistent. I don't think that they lack the ability to do it. But I think what the Raiders did schematically is they got the ball to Jimmy G's hands relatively quickly, but they didn't even dial up a lot of deep shots themselves there. They were attacking because they kept bringing down. There were times they'd go spread, but then there were times where a lot of their formations were predicated on bringing the receivers closer to the offensive tackle, and then they were running different concepts, you know, corner routes, flats, drags. Uh, they were really attacking short to intermediate, and Jimmy G, I thought, did a good job at sometimes escaping some pressure, maneuvering, and then creating some opportunities. But I think for the most part, Denver's game plan defensively was to come in there, try to limit Josh Jacobs, who obviously they'd never had an answer for. He's averaged over 4.3 yards per carry mm-hmm. for. They stopped him, and then they also stopped Devontae Adams. You know, he got free on a couple of plays away from Sertan, but you know that's where Damari Mathis had a rough day at the cornerback spot, giving up a couple of catches. Some, obviously, I think were really good ball placement, and we talk about some two back shoulder throws to Jacoby Myers, one being for a touchdown. But, you know, you're going to have to bounce back. I mean, that's the thing. Look, teams are going to go away from Patrick Sertan. They're not going to consistently try to put their best guy there. They're going to move him around, and that's where Damari Mathis is going to have to step up. But, um, I mean, I think it's way too early for people to press the panic button. I understand the frustration that this fan base has had with losing. Yeah, it's not good. It sucks. And, obviously, a loss to the Raiders at home, it sucks. And Denver was in control of that. They, I mean, they could have, they should have won that game. But, you know, would have, could have, should have, doesn't happen. You know, uh, close is only good at hand shoes and, ho- I mean, horse uh, grenades and hand, uh, horseshoes at this point. <laughs> I but, got you. Yeah, but, you know, you're right. It is. There, but there's a lot that you mentioned that I thought they did well offensively. Look, I mean, six possessions each. I mean, that was a weird game from the onset there in comparison to what we normally see. The you were right on Demari Mathis, and he did have a rough game. But but let me give you this number from True Media: the Broncos' uh, pressure rate was thirteen point eight percent. That was the lowest of the thirty teams that have thus far played in Week One. However, their blitz rate was forty one point four percent. That was the third highest. So I mean, they were bringing pressure. And you are right when you point out that schematically, it's as if the Raiders sort of knew that the Broncos would have to bring pressure to get pass rush and schemed around it. But uh, it, it did not look as if the defense, they were they were focused on containing Jacobs and focused on containing Adams. Statistically, they did so. But in the end, uh, the Raiders were still able to get it done. Garoppolo was 20 for 26. The only interception was deflected. It, that could have been a touchdown, and this game wouldn't have been uh, even all that close. But uh, let's take a look real quickly at the offensive side. Javante Williams, 13 carries, uh, maybe a little bit uh Less than some fans expected, maybe more than some fans expected. Samaji Pirine with a, an effective in-burst 41 yards on eight carries. But when you look at the the receiving, even though Russell Wilson had to uh, split it around to a lot of different receivers and for the most part was pretty effective in the completion percentage, Pirine was also the leading receiver with 37 yards. This That's team looks joke. like it's a little short on That's playmakers, Cody. Well, I mean, Jer- having, not having Jerry Judy, yeah, that's that matters. a big loss. <laughs> it is a huge loss for them. Um, and also, I would say losing Greg Dulcich in that late second quarter, that impacted them big time in the second half. Nothing against Adam Troutman, but in a situation that we saw yesterday, there was a third and long that Russell Wilson did a great job finding Troutman, but unfortunately, Troutman just wasn't fast enough to outrun the defender. Dulcich is fast enough in a situation like that. So Denver has no speed right now on – they're on that side of the ball, which is a little unfortunate. Um, 
I'm, I'm going to try to be as polite as I can about this. I couldn't disagree more uh, with, with, with both of you to varying degrees. Um, I, <laughs> Patrick Sertan, Adams had a 100-yard day if, as Jimmy Garoppolo fully admitted after the game and during the game, he knew he had Adams open for about a 30, 35-yard touchdown pass. He was five yards past Sertan, who was completely faked out on, the, on his move. And Garoppolo missed him. And Garoppolo went right to him on the sideline and said, I know I missed you for a touchdown. It was the easiest throw of the day. I'm sorry I missed you. Uh, I, I'm sorry that there's got to be some impact on the game. Uh, Sutan, particularly since uh, the midway point of last season, shows no particular inclination to make any tackles. And I thought didn't hustle on the last play, which is the crucial play of the game. And... You know, you can't. They had one tackle for a loss yesterday. The Raiders, statistically speaking, might have been the worst defensive team in the league last year. The Raiders had seven tackles for losses. I I, I don't know how you explain that discrepancy. Raider players are saying during the game that Bronco defenders are saying, well, uh, we we're, we're loading up. I mean, they were loading up with five and six man defensive lines to stop Josh Jacobs because they didn't think Garoppolo could beat him. And they thought Sertan, although there's no evidence to show that Sertan has ever been able to cover Adams one-on-one, they, they, they bought into the idea that Josh Jacobs, who really didn't look like Josh Jacobs yesterday, he looked very rusty and frankly out of shape. So they stopped the run, but the Raiders averaged almost eight yards per pass attempt. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't get his uniform dirty until he slid in the mud, in the rain, on the final play of the <laughs> game, effectively, the play that got the Raiders the first down. I, I'm sorry, no receiver had more than 37 yards in, in pass receptions. Uh, the quarterback was dumping the ball off all day, which is nice for his completion percentage. He had 52 yards passing on 15 attempts in the second half. This Raider defense, I'm not sure the Broncos will play in any other game this year, and certainly not next week, a defense worse than the Raider defense. The Raiders aren't a good team, and they weren't a good team yesterday. By their own admission, they played badly. And the only team the Raiders beat in close games is the Broncos. People say the Broncos are 4-9 in one-score games last year. They should have been better. What were the Raiders in one-score games last year? Four and nine. <laughs> so I, I, I don't buy You lose close games like this. The Broncos have been losing them for years because they're the least intelligent team on the field, the least aggressive, the least physical. All that was supposed to change was Sean Payton, and I really thought the best move Sean Payton made today was the, yesterday was the onside kick. That yeah, was the I onside mean- kick. He, he did nothing else of note, and if Nathaniel Hackett were still the coach, people would be all over him today, wouldn't they? No, they would. They any would, other coach, any other coach, the, people would be all over him. Everybody would. You know, and that's the thing, too, and, and this is what I try to tell fans. They're like, you know, it's, a, it's an awful call for him. Like, it's not a bad call. It's not a legal contact. Or if they ever get there, everyone's going to say, oh, he's genius. Yeah. Oh, you know, so it's. It's one of those things, and look, it, it's it's early on in the season. It's a long stretch. Denver's going to have to address a lot of things, obviously, this week against the Commanders team that, hey, 
Sam Howell's a little athletic. We saw yesterday against the Cardinals. He can run. He can get to the outside. He can dip up underneath. They have Antonio Gibson, who obviously struggled with uh, you know some fumbling problems. And then you have two. You have a couple of good receivers. You have Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin come to town. Denver's going to be tested. And look, I, th- I think that we're going to see a little bit. Like obviously, it's not the ideal start, but you know, there's a lot of room for them to get better and to improve. And I don't think Sean Payton's the type of coach that's just going to sit by and say, okay, hey, all right, we're bad at this. Let's just be bad. He's going to find a way to change it. And if not, he's going to make a change himself. That's where I have a little bit more confidence in maybe Denver turning some things around versus than what we saw last year under Nathaniel Hackett. I don't think Payton's the type of guy that's just going to let something be bad. He's going to go find a solution for it. I think there's something to that. They also had 10 penalties, 83 yards, a couple of very careless ones of the uh, the unsportsmanlike variety. Uh, arguably, the Kareem Jackson would essentially ended the Broncos' chances at winning. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I would imagine would have Sean Payton gritting his teeth. That kind of thing can't happen, especially from the veteran guys that they happen from. Yeah, and, you know, here's the thing, too. Like, the Simmons one, I mean, the football these days, we always have to ask ourselves, what's a penalty, what's not? You guys, you know, like the defensive back position, linebacker, the one position we used to be able to be the most physical in the NFL in years prior. You can't be as physical anymore. Especially, you can't even be physical with wide receivers anymore. I, I don't necessarily have issue with those. Obviously, you want you have to time it. You have to make sure that hey, this isn't going to cost you. And obviously, with Jimmy Garoppolo, if it's not a quarterback, that's a legal hit. Like no one's going to flag if that's a running back or a wide receiver. What happened to Justin Simmons? Now, obviously, you got to make a smarter decision there. Everything's bang bang, but. I honestly don't think, like, even the Kareem Jackson one. Like, Kareem is making – it's third and seven. You're playing sticks alignment here. They're running around directly there. Where's he supposed to hit him? You know, and, and like, on that one, Jacoby Myers slipped down a little bit, too. So that made the trajectory, the aiming point there, a little difficult there. And it's just – it's tough when you're playing this game at 100 miles an hour. Cody, Kareem Jackson, a minute after the game, he hit him in the head. And it was a bad penalty. And he hoped the guy was all right, and it was a dumb penalty. It was a dumb penalty. He hit him in the head. No, I mean, and that's the thing. Just don't hit him in the head. It's hard though at this game, you know, when guys are dipping down. Like that's the thing with receivers. If you dip down, duck your head, or even like lower it a little bit, you're going to be at risk of getting hit in the head. Which, I mean, it's unfortunate. I know the NFL is trying to take it out of the game, but that's exactly what they're trying to take out of the game. Cody, I'm sorry, Kareem. Did you hear him after the game? He said he hit him in the head. I know. I I the only question was whether he hit him with an elbow, hit him with a shoulder, or hit him with a crown of his helmet. He, he wasn't sure about that, but he was sure he hit him in the head. Yeah, he wasn't. Cody wasn't disputing that he hit him in the head. The point is that it, it, in a bang-bang play, it can be hard to decipher, especially when guys are trying to go down, and, and it's tricky. Yeah. Tough. Football's tough. I mean, it's literally, it's a game of inches. It's a game of, you know, just split-second decisions. And, you know, if you're off by an inch, you're off by just even a centimeter in some instances. It can cost you, and unfortunately, Denver had too many of those yesterday. Cody, last one for you. Now, uh, following this loss to the Raiders, look, if, if Broncos fans were thinking about making the playoffs and trying to find a way to get through nine or ten wins, I don't know if anybody's path of nine to ten wins did not include a win on the game Sunday. If they lose to Washington, the playoff hopes go right out the window, don't they? This becomes a must win, even in the second week of the year. I mean, from an optic standpoint, yeah. I mean, from a you have so many games left, not necessarily it means you're just going to have to win some games that maybe you're not projected to win, which, hey, you don't want to be in those situations anyways. I mean, it's it's tough to say, but, I mean, we're, I, we, we're even seeing Chiefs fans freak out over them losing, and we're seeing Bengals fans freak out over them losing. I think that the early part of the season, the first four weeks are probably the most crucial, right? 
what's your biggest jump? What your, do you improve from week one to week four? I think that's really the biggest landmark we can see to maybe seeing where this team's going to end up. And it doesn't get easy. Like, you know, Washington is going to be a little bit of a tough team. They've got a new ownership. They've got new energy in them right now. They've got a talented defense. They've got some talented players on the offensive side of the ball. Then you got to go to Miami, who's just unbelievably efficient and electric right now from what we saw in week one. And, you know, Chicago, I think, is a very winnable game for Denver. But, it, I mean, overall, we're going to find out a lot about this team in the next three weeks. And then I think I'll have a better answer for you. He is Cody Rourke from My High Sports. Make sure you check out all his work at MyHighSports.com and the Good Morning Broncos program over on YouTube as well. Cody Rourke NFL is the Twitter handle. Uh, appreciate it. Not the way the Broncos wanted to start things off. We'll find out if they turn it around later this week. Thanks for all the insight. Appreciate you guys. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Cody, joining us there. And... The Broncos start, I think, a little bit of air coming out of the balloon there for fans who believe that Sean Payton was going to be a panacea year after Russell Wilson was going to be a panacea. Russell Wilson looked quite a bit improved. Uh, Again, the idea was doing what the offense asked him to do, which meant a lot of checkdowns in this case because the Raiders were playing with high safeties. Sean Payton talked about it and said Wilson made the right reads. The problem is when you complete 27 passes and you only get 177 yards, that aggressiveness that Russell Wilson is renowned for and maybe sometimes too much, maybe there's a happy medium that needs to be found in between the offense and between Russell Wilson. Let Russ, maybe not cook, but warm it up a little bit. We'll have our checkup from the neck up with our friend Dr. Rick Perea. He'll join us next on Miley Sports. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Welcome back. It is Monday. It means we spent some time on our mental health on a Monday with our friend Dr. Rick Perea. Check up from the neck up. But Dr. Rick from thinkone4u.org. That's thinkone4u.org. Thanks a, a bunch for joining us as always. Let's start uh, with, not even players, let's just start with fans. The yeah. Broncos fans yeah. who watched the Broncos lose their seventh consecutive game to the Raiders who look at a team that was dead last in the league and scoring with 16.9 points, watch them blow an an extra point with a kicker that they just traded to bring in, and they're looking at themselves going, wow. Moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. Same thing. New coach, same thing. The reality is things are obviously changing. We'll find out what the product looks like at the end of the year, but at least after this game, it looked a lot like uh, the Broncos you've seen in the last few years. The idea for... Fans, when you look at something, let's take the reflection with the Broncos and then what you see in Boulder where the Buffs are now 18th and there are some people that are still firmly convinced they're in the national title hunt and they are not. But the idea and the tendency of people to overreact or underreact to certain things. Yeah, well, I would use the word oversimplification because I think what happens is is people want, you know, they think with their, their heart instead of their brain. And I think, you know, the Broncos, I I would like to see him play better. I know a lot of people in that organization. And I think they are. I think Russell Wilson played better in the first half than he has last year. 
But I still see gaps. I still see gaps. Coaching decisions still. I mean, there's still snafus that you typically don't see in an NFL game um, that happen. So I think there's a lot of things they still need to clean up. And I'm not sure the Raiders are a very good team either. So I, 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 it's hard to get a gauge on that first game. Um, up in Boulder, I think it's I, I think it's great. I think people are excited and they're in their um, you know more enthusiastic than they've been in a long time. But I also think that we got to pump the brakes because I think that it's easy to let emotions get the best of us. And I think that um, over time, over the, the course of the season, we'll be able to see really what what that team looks like. I think I, I haven't been able to watch them, unfortunately. I've been very busy doing my NFL work, but I, I have heard and I've seen and I've seen uh, snippets. Um, I think Shador is, is the real deal. I think he moves well. I think he's very athletic and he's very accurate the way he throws. Now, nobody's put pressure on him, and I'll guarantee you defensive coordinator is going to be coming at him. They're going to come at him in ways, you know, that from pressure from different areas, and that's going to make him, you know, we'll see what he's made of from the neck up because one of these days when he's running back there, he's going to get hit, and he's going to get hit pretty good. So we're going to see what he's they're made of. I do give him full credit the first two games. Um, I'm not sure good, how good TCU is. I'm not sure how sure uh, how good Nebraska is. I don't think Nebraska is very good at all, actually. So we'll see. But um, it's it, people are excited, and I think what we should do is just don't oversimplify when someone wins a game or two, and we say they're back. I think they're trending. I think they're working their way back. But I just, I still, I still personally will hold true to my my assertion that you can't purge a team that quickly in terms of its personnel and expect to have you know a climate and culture that is cohesive over the course of a season can it be done for a game two maybe even three or four but not consistently over a long season it does seem though in college football and you've worked around college football programs for a long time yeah that for better and for worse and in the minds of a lot of people it is for worse you do it one of two ways. You embrace the reality. Uh, you understand the way it works. Lean into it and try to win. That's the D, uh, the Deion Sanders camp. Right. You stand on principle, quote unquote, and very likely lose, or at least lose ground from where you were. That would seem to be Dabo Swinney at. Clemson, who absolutely refuses to accept transfers. Mm, yeah. Anybody. Yeah. Dabo Swinney has to have total control. He thinks transfers demand control that he doesn't want to give out, and he's perfectly comfortable recruiting. And Clemson, which seemed to have a budding dynasty, much as Georgia does now, people are wondering if Clemson's going to finish the year in the top 20. Top 25. But, see, we have an inverse relationship there. They're doing the opposite of what CU's doing. Direct opposite. Yeah, and they're, they're own too. But, again, pump the brakes. Let's see the whole season. Let's see how they play over the course of a whole season. I mean, they didn't all of a but sudden get But if you're own too, you're out of the playoffs. Well, I, no, I get that. I get that. And that's going to happen. I mean, let's look at Bama. Bama's maybe out of it, too, this year. There's a lot of change right. going on for some of those top teams. But what I would say is this. The number one thing that traditionally that college football teams have done or they want to do is develop players. We call it player development. We use it in the NFL too. 
player development will help you win, but you've got to focus on developing the whole player. And that's the concern I have. I know several of the players that were told, you have a career, but it's just not here up at CU. And And, I didn't like the way that was done either. And Sandy, some of those guys have 70 or 80 hours of coursework in, and they're they're transferring to places that only 30 credits transfer. I understand. And it affects families. It affects, you know, just it's like a pebble in a pond. You know, when we oversimplify and say that winning is the objective, I get it. And that's what fans, I guess, want. That's where we're at in this society. But you can win, quote unquote, the old fashioned way on principle. I really believe you still can. And I'm not saying that Dion can't win the way he is. He's proven he's 2 0 right now. So let's go with the empirical evidence. But I'm saying over the course of a season, I still don't buy it. I still don't buy that it will consistently win. Now, if he slows down and he starts focusing on player development, you know, because it's not just him. You know, his offensive coordinator and his defensive coordinator are really game planning. Those are the oh, guys absolutely. doing this. Those, sure. are, those are the no, people he, that are doing he, this. But, but he does freely. I, I have some questions about Deion, too. And I, I subscribe to the Ed Warder theory of you know, the great reporter uh, who's a good friend of ours uh, from ESPN who covered Deion Sanders for years when Deion played in Dallas and was the first face Deion looked to after the TCU game in the in the press area yeah and looked at him admonished him for i guess on twitter or x the writing some things that were unfavorable and said do you believe now right and edwarder's answer was in what <laughs> which i thought was the perfect response yeah. which flustered Dion a little bit right. oh you don't believe that right no he just in what are you going 12 and 0? Are you going to be right. national champion? You know, and, and okay, I I have my problems with that, but it is undeniable that he has created legitimate excitement. I mean, you've got something I have never seen before in the telecasting history of college football. You have CU, a 1 and 11 team last year on Fox's pregame. Mm-hmm. It's national Noontime Eastern start, yeah, which meant two 10 a.m. Mountain Time starts. Not something that players tend to like very much, especially when they're playing on the road in a different time zone. Mm-hmm. And now this week, ESPN has the game. Fox is still bringing its pregame show, even though a competing network right. is showing the game nationally. Fox's pregame, eight hours in advance of the game, or 10 hours in advance of the game, is still going to be here. Right. It, it's, it, it, I, and again, that I understand the point you're making about the performance and the record has to extend beyond a couple of games mm-hmm. in September, and frankly, they're going to kill CSU. I mean, it's just a matter of what score they decide to beat them by. Um, then they go to Oregon, and that will be – the first acid test and the second one will be USC here at the end of the month. But the the excitement he's created is contagious. And you hit on the point, the substance by Sanders own admission is the coaching staff. It's the coordinators. They're calling the plays. Right. And I think I want to remind everyone that, you know, 
winning, I get it, sells tickets, it fills the stands, it brings people, gets them excited. But at the core of this is these people behind those uniforms, and those are human beings. And I have to look out for those guys because those sure. are my clients. Right. And NFL players are my clients and coaches. And so what we've got to do is remember these are people. And I think over the course of time, the way Dion is approaching this is not going to sustain itself because it's not built from a human performance perspective. It's built from a winning perspective, which is an outcome goal. When you focus on outcome goals, you, you put too much pressure on people. When you focus on process goals, people know they can handle that. And so internally in any organization, whether it's a team or a corporation, you have to focus on process goals. This is all research and evidence-based. Sandy, the issue I have with Dion is not his goal change, not his presentations, none of that stuff. What it is, it's not, it's not, it's not accurate. It's just not science. It's not, over time, he will not be able to sustain if he continues to oversimplify the way he's approaching winning. What I'm saying is there is a proven way to win, and we've seen it for decades and decades and decades, and he just he didn't reinvent the wheel. He has reinvented marketing and how to get a team excited, but over time. Because I'll, I'll tell you this about CSU, too. You, th you think they're going to kick their butt. Turnovers could change that thing. CSU, I know it's not a very good product right now, but that's what I mean. College football is highly variable. And it wouldn't surprise me. It's 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 in all probability CU is going to win, but they may not beat them. And then they could really go on a tailspin just because I don't believe, and it's based on evidence and research, that they are built from the right way from a scientific perspective. It Emotion will only take you so long. Emotion, extrinsically motivated emotion, which is what he's building up there, will only take you so far. I know two kids that are up there right now that are freshmen on scholarship, and he's talked to them one time since they've been there in August. That is not human connection. No matter what you show on the outside, that is not human connection. We will find out as that season continues to go along, obviously, and the Broncos as well. He is Dr. Rick Perea, and of course, you check out the website, think one for you org for your checkup for the neck up as well and catch him here every uh, monday by the way i noticed just just saying uh vance joseph looked way more calm on the sideline in the did you see couple. that just point that yes. out yes. <laughs> for regular well, listeners listens. to the program uh <laughs> make sure that you know, there's there, yeah. you know, check with dr rick about uh all of that sort of stuff think what for you.org is the website dr rick Brea. thanks as always Thank you, guys. Love to be here. All right. Take care. Yeah, the, uh, the for the, the, the Broncos, obviously, the the defensive side of the equation. We talked about the numbers with the pass rush. The, fact, the Despite the fact the Broncos blitzed third most of any team and uh, had the 30th of any pressure when it comes to the quarterback, that's a problem. How do they fix it? Can they fix it? Is it a roster situation? Is it scheme? We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Congratulations, by the way. A little, I checked this myself almost. Couldn't really believe it. But uh, tonight, when Monday Night Football kicks off and uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman called the game, 
they will be the longest serving True. announcing duo in I NFL it's history. 22 years for 22 21 years. for Summerall. Well, yeah, break the record by Summerall and Madden. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but you think well, about it. Well, and I they aren't that old. Uh, I think that's, I think maybe that's why. They're in their mid 50s, both of them. I think Buck is 54 and Troy Aikman is 56. Uh, they're an easy listen. Um, I, I don't happen to think that they're necessarily the best duo, but they're an easy listen. They wear well. And I thought Summerall and Madden might have been the all-time perfect combination because they're so different. And uh, Summerall's play-by-play style was sparing, and Madden was a bullion. And it, it, it was perfect. They both had a great love and respect for the other. And it was magic. And, uh, you know, uh, Terry O'Neill, uh, the old uh, producer, who was a very young man at the time and had been involved with ABC's Monday Night Football and very successfully involved, he was kind of a hot shot of the 1970s and early 1980s, uh, he was the one who put them together because they weren't together at the beginning. Uh, in fact, Madden was kind of getting passed around mm-hmm. uh, right. through, through various uh, uh, announcers. But Buck and Aikman have been together uh, since Aikman started. Uh, Aikman was not passed around. Aikman became Aikman had, the, Aikman had the, one the number one guy with, uh, at Fox. With and Dick now, Stockton. He had one year with Dick Stockton he and did. then he bounced did. up that's to right. uh, – But right. in the very second season, year. off he, he, off he goes. One. You are correct. You are correct. So that's pretty quick. And, of course, uh, you know, Joe Buck's father, Jack Buck, was a Hall of Fame broadcaster himself. Right. And uh, certainly had the in. He worked for years, I thought, beautifully on Monday Night Football Radio with Hank Stram, the late, great Hank Stram. So congratulations to those two guys. I'm sort of with you. I I think they're just kind of okay as an announcing. There's nothing wrong with them. I don't. Uh, I will say that. Um, and I do watch Peyton and Eli. I do uh, like um, a- Aikman, I think, at times will shoot absolutely straight. And when he does, I think Buck sort of rounds off those edges. And maybe that's partly what makes it an easy listen for people at times. Uh, we know the Broncos game not too long ago when Aikman basically told the entire audience, uh, we were flat out lied to about yeah, yeah. <laughs> about yeah. the quality of that, this team. That was my favorite moment with Troy Aikman because he was genuinely... He was upset. He was angry. Offended. He was offended. That the Broncos had tried to sell him a bill of goods. Yeah, he was offended by it. That was, I, I thought, the best moment that Troy Aikman has ever had as as a broadcaster, and probably uh, 99% of the people who watch them on a regular basis wouldn't even remember it, but here in Denver, speaking the truth about the Broncos, which people are still, I think, a little hesitant to do in giving them every benefit of every doubt. Uh, you know, Cody was talking earlier about, well, Cincinnati uh, looked bad, and Cincinnati did look bad yesterday. Um that Kansas City lost its first game and could conceivably start 0-2 because they've got to go to Jacksonville, and Jacksonville's a good team. But those two teams and those two quarterbacks have earned the benefit of the doubt. Russell Wilson cannot win games in the fourth quarter anymore, in my opinion. And I'm not saying he played badly yesterday, but Jimmy Garoppolo, who threw an absolutely ridiculous interception, yeah, he that. was there in the fourth quarter, and he lifted his team. And, you know, I I think actually maybe Jimmy Garoppolo has found his coach who really believes in him. Always the coach has. he had at the beginning, his offensive coordinator in New England at the beginning of his career, was Josh McDaniels. And 
I think McDaniels has maybe found his quarterback. It sure wasn't Jay Cutler. It wasn't even Kyle Orton. And it was not Tim Tebow, although Josh McDaniels drafted Tim Tebow. It took Josh McDaniels about five minutes to realize Tim Tebow couldn't play a lick um, because he couldn't throw the football. And there was no amount of coaching that was going to change that. Uh, Josh McDaniels, uh, even in New England, uh, knew that Cam Newton was washed up when Tom Brady left and they turned to Newton. And, of course, now uh, the Mac Jones reclamation project is underway with Bill O'Brien in New England as the offensive coordinator. But McDaniels and Derek Carr never, ever, ever hit it off last year, and you could tell that marriage was doomed to failure from day one. Uh, There was no rapport between the two whatsoever. But McDaniels is the one guy in the league who believed in Jimmy Garoppolo. Kyle Shanahan's been trying to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo for years. (laughs) And it's because of what some of what we saw yesterday that he's good for one bonehead play a game. At least. And he probably true. A good team, which the Broncos are most assuredly not, would have taken advantage of that interception. That would have been game set and match. Yeah, the, a good the, team that would have been for the Raiders an opportunity match. to basically put the game away and then hand it right back to you. Yes, it's thirteen to ten. The game is on the line. It's the second half. It's a it's a long Raider drive. They've got first and goal at the one. They butts around and end up with what was the play in which the interception was thrown? Second goal at the six, something like that. Right. And you know he throws a ridiculous interception by his own admission. And that's the thing I remember saying at the time. That's Jimmy Garoppolo's calling card. Has been throughout his National Football League career. He will. He's just good enough to get you beat. He is the modern day Steve DeBerg. (laughs) He is Steve DeBerg, about whom Bill Walsh said he's just good enough to get you beat. Jimmy Garoppolo, yesterday playing against almost any other team in the league, on the road. That would have been the losing play of the game. That would have been the play everybody was talking about after the game. Jimmy Garoppolo not only had a chance to score another touchdown, Broncos gave him back the ball with five minutes, eight seconds to go. That, to me, was the most impressive Jimmy Garoppolo series of the game. Of the seven possession the Raiders had, they ran out the clock. Last five minutes, eight seconds against the, I keep hearing, the world's greatest defense. (laughs) Well, uh, obviously the defense did not have a particularly uh, good game. And and this is part of what we've discussed, that, there's an awful lot of this Broncos defense that has been consistently in this offseason been projection, not production. We've talked about how last year the entire starting projected starting 11 had 18 total sacks last year. And it, it looked like it, again, it looked to me as if Zach Allen was the only defensive lineman that the Raiders were remotely concerned about. Uh, they certainly weren't concerned about Frank Clark. They weren't overly concerned about Frank Gregory. Clark was abysmal uh, Clark was yesterday, bad. and that was reflected by the fact that he was out there for only 42% of the snaps. The coaches even recognized Yeah, I, that and I think he he's terrible. just going to be a situational pass rusher. I think that's, that's, the, uh, that's the role. It's not going to be significant. And they just can't get any pressure on the quarterback. And if they can't no, get pressure on the quarterback – even Jimmy Garoppolo can carve you up. And and you know what, yesterday, uh, and I felt this way a year ago at this time, before he got hurt, 
Randy Gregory was actually, for the first three or four games before he got hurt, yeah, he, he was quite he was. good. Invisible yesterday. Yeah, you really didn't no see much yesterday. No at all. And was benched and only played 68% of the snaps. This is a team that's missing Baron Browning. They're, they've got guys, key guys out. And you see that other than Simmons Sertan, this coaching staff doesn't play anybody 100% of the time. Mathis was bad yesterday. That was the, Mathis had a Mathis had a bad game. He just had game. a bad game. He had a bad and, game. And he He's played been better than that. Of snaps. Jewel invisible until the last play where Garoppolo, who is not a speed merchant, ran by him like he was Usain Bolt. Uh, Jewel was terrible in the game. Uh, Jackson had the key penalty that lost in the game. He played ninety five percent of the snaps. Allen was pretty good, ninety percent of the snaps, and. Uh, the uh, every time he makes a tackle, do we have to call Alex Singleton a tackling machine? Every time he makes a tackle, boy, yeah, that, that's that's I the noticed comment. that too. I'm like, oh, and ninety percent of the so he made a few tackles yesterday, and he's a tackling machine. Um, Harrison Cooper, who actually played pretty well, uh, got sixty six and sixty four percent of the snaps respectively. Uh, DJ Jones probably played more than he should as a nose tackle, fifty nine percent, but that was because. Purcell is not really in shape and only was out there for 36% of the snaps. You know, that's it disappointed me. Well, the two things that disappointed me about playing time, not, not about how they perform so much. Mm-hmm. How come Nick Benito only played one out of every four snaps? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't he have a pretty F- good camp? 15 total talking snaps. About how, how, how much of a revelation he's been. And um, Jaleel McLaughlin, who is Sean Payton's pride and joy, it seemed, Got in there for eight percent of the snaps, yep, five, and they five didn't. Snaps in total. They did on on none of his touches did they block anybody. And you know what? I, here's my main criticism of Sean Payton yesterday. He had a lousy game plan. They have one defensive player, Max Crosby. That's it. Marcus Peters is as over the hill as you can be and still be an active player. He can't play dead anymore. He's terrible. They can't cover anybody. They their linebackers stink. They have nobody up front. Uh, Chandler Jones was going to play and let until something weird happened that we still don't know all about. Max Crosby is literally the only guy on that defense you have to block. And they couldn't block him. Right. And I didn't see him double-teaming or triple-teaming Max Crosby. Max Crosby lined up against whoever he wanted to line up against. They tried a couple times. And look ridiculous. They tried a couple times where they would have man hurts. Uh, Manhurts initially Chuck Crosby. Of course, that delayed him about half a second. And then McGlinchey was sort of waiting for him, but that didn't work either. Uh, the, the pass blocking, and that's, I guess, if you want to get on the flip side, one of the things I actually thought was good in Russell Wilson's performance is the pass blocking was not good. No. Wilson, for the most part, chose to roll out when necessary, not necessarily no. panicking and doing so, but did so when necessary. And for the yeah, most part, effective, actually, found the right that. targets yeah. and delivered on yeah, time and he on threw target. the right people. And, you know, part of it is there's no one to throw too deep. The one deep ball he threw, right out of Sutton, you know, couldn't catch up to it, but he was fouled on the play. They right. called the pass interference and they helped Denver. Uh, so I, I don't put that on Russell Wilson, but they, I, I'm telling you that it, they haven't, Cody mentioned it 45 minutes ago. They have no speed. No, 
None. Greg Dulcich is expected to miss some time, so probably wouldn't expect him to be back in week now, two. Now, is it a hamstring again? It is a hamstring. He's going to miss more than just The Broncos' time. receiving targets seem to have a hamstring. Well, they do. And Dulcich is hurt all the issue. time. And I hate to see him hurt. And I hate to see Caden Stearns hurt. But he's hurt all and the that's time. And that's the end of the year, by the way. Torn patellar tendon yeah. for Stearns. Yeah. Want to get your opinion? 303-831-1340. We're going to go to the biggest football story in town. That's Bye, not four. the Broncos. It is the now 2-0, number 18 ranked Colorado Buffaloes. We'll talk about them next on Miley Sports.